From coast to coast to coast, you are listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome back. I'm Sean Ho, and I will be your host for the next half hour of environmental news. I would like to begin this episode by acknowledging that Terra Informa is a production of CGSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located in Edmonton, Alberta, on Shade Six. The historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples. Treaty is about relationships, and the very least we can do in this relationship is acknowledge the people who continue to live and gather here, and who continue to influence the stories we make and our understanding of the land around us. This week on Terra Informa, we are revisiting some of our coverage of the Edmonton Waste Management Center. Over the years, we have covered Edmonton's waste management efforts, including having a full tour of the facilities in 2017. So sit back for a half hour of trash talk. Before we listen to that interview, here are this week's headlines. Edmonton City Council has declared a state of climate emergency. Councilors voted 10 to 3 on the motion to make the declaration and asked city administration to report back to council on climate action progress and any further moves on the city's energy transition strategy. The motion comes on the heels of a report showing the transition strategy needs to be strengthened for the city to keep its carbon footprint to 155 megatons of carbon dioxide by 2050. The city is also preparing a new 25-year waste management strategy that could include a ban on single-use plastics by 2021. The strategy would require households to separate their waste into four streams. Garbage, organics, recycling, leaf, and yard waste. A card collection system to handle the new system is expected to begin in fall of 2020 and be fully implemented a year later. The city is also planning to have a new composting facility in the works by 2025. A new study from the University of Calgary has determined how hydraulic fracturing, commonly known as fracking, can increase the likelihood of earthquakes. Researchers found that fluid injected into rocks can lead to a slow slip on fault lines between rock formations. Over time, the slip can increase the strain on the whole formation, leading to further slips in the formation, which produces an earthquake. The study also noted the earthquakes occurred hundreds of meters above where the fracking was done. After two weeks at sea, Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg landed in New York on August 28. She's there to attend the United Nations Climate Action Summit in September. The boat she sailed on was solar and wind-powered. Thunberg opted to sail because of the carbon footprint of flying. A 2018 study found that cloud and ozone formation can trap two to four times more heat on top of the effects of emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases from airplanes. And now let's talk trash. Edmonton shut down its compost facility on May 29th after it was discovered the roof was no longer structurally safe. As a tribute. We wanted to play a story about the compost and biogas production facility from 2009, but it has mysteriously disappeared. So we are revisiting a story from 2017. Terry Formas, Amanda Rooney, and Tasmir Nisha took a tour around the Edmonton Waste Management Center 
the city offers free tours of its world-renowned garbage collection facility every Friday, with two tours at 9.30 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. In this piece, we join a group on their tour of the center and its facilities. Are you concerned about waste, yes or no? And if you say yes, tell me why. Because it's like, if you don't manage it, it's going to pile up for eons and eons. And eons. Okay, so there's this notion that we create lots of waste and it could pile up and we could be literally living in a world of waste. But what are sort of the long-term lasting effects of waste? What do you think? Well, we are living on a finite planet. We're basically scratching the surface of the easy to get at stuff. So we put in these giant mixed piles and not have access to it later. Exactly. What is waste? Where, where, where does it come from? What's it made from? All kinds of stuff. <laughs> well, people disconnect themselves constantly from so many things. You might recognize this if I can just quickly find it. What's that, my friends? VHS. <laughs> yeah, look at that. It's a beautiful, beautiful VHS tape. And where do you put this? When you want to get rid of the VHS tape, what do you do with it? Yeah, you take it to an eco station. But lately, we've been getting a lot of this. So, if you look at the VHS tape, what's it made out of? Plastic. plastic okay. Are, is the plastic all the same? No. So, there's two different kinds of plastics. This is a nylon-based plastic. This is another type of plastic here, which is a mystery plastic. We don't know what the chemical composition of that is. And then the tape itself, what do you think that's made out of? You know, it's actually made out of cellulose, a little bit of embedded plastic, and then it's coated in iron oxide rust, believe it or not. And... A lot of people have been putting this into the recycling. And what happens inside of our recycling plants, it turns into this. So this is one of the rollers that comes from one of our conveyor belts inside. And what's twisted all around that? VHS tape. So something as simple as our VHS tape is causing us a whole lot of problems. So when you want to get rid of it, not into the garbage, not into the blue bag, but take it to the eco station. And this is the whole notion of what goes where. And so that's what the tour is going to be about today. Is we're going to have a chance to check out this entire site, understand what goes where. If you look on the walls, you'll see the recycling. We have a reuse center. We have our eco station. Eco station is a really important part of our uh, waste system here in Edmonton. Garbage over on this side. And then from the garbage, we make a product called compost. And I want to show you one more thing here today. I want everyone to look long and lovingly into the jar. I want you to tell me what's inside the jar. Tar. Tar, okay, good guess. I'll give you a hint. You make it a couple times a day. Yeah! Okay, so in science, we don't call it poop, or at least on our site, we call it biosolid. So this is a product that is, once again, a waste item that we are trying to VHS tape, you can't recover. It goes to the eco station because it causes problems in our plants. But when you recycle a piece of paper, cardboard, it can be recovered. Our biosolids can be recovered. Out of any waste item, what is the type of waste we make the most? That's food waste. We do generate a lot of food waste. So we mix the food in the yard of waste. We can turn that good stuff into compost. Our job is to recycle as much as we possibly can. And to do all that, 
we do that using all these different buildings on the site. So let's have a look at some of them here, and we'll get into what we're going to do on our tour today. And if the rain stays away, we'll have a chance to visit this area called the landfill. But we don't call it a landfill anymore. It has a new name. It's now called the landfill. There's no more room left there. So the garbage doesn't go there. The waste goes into a variety of buildings located here. And our job is to recover as much material as we can. So what are the items that we recycle in our daily lives? Bottles. Bottles, number one answer. But what is the most number one thing we recycle? Paper. Uh, everyone says plastic. It's paper. Yeah, paper and cardboard. Lots of paper and cardboard. A little bit of plastic. Then we get into a few metals. And then we're going to talk a bit about glass. Over here, this is the composter. This is the largest indoor industrial composter in North America, and we call it the co-composter because food and yard waste that goes into this building called the Integrated Processing and Transfer Facility, I like to nickname this garbage land. Garbage land prepares material that goes to the composter. And what goes to the composter? Food waste and yard waste. But the reason why we call it a co-composter, if you look way over on the east side of the site, You'll find this area called biosolid lagoons. So these biosolids that you see in the jar, they come from the wastewater treatment plant. They'll go up to the lagoons and they will come out of there. We will turn that good stuff into compost located right here. In the middle of the site, we have a place called the construction and demolition site. Do we throw away a lot of wood? The answer is yeah. Mm. Throw away a lot of wood. I actually did a tour for a group of students from a university in Cuba. And one of the students just started to cry. 19-year-old student started to cry. And I asked her, why? What's wrong? She said, you throw so much wood away in a day that it could keep my dad employed for a year. And then she explained to me that her father earned a living by cleaning up old scrap wood, by planing it down, removing pieces of metal out of the wood, and he would sell it. And that's how he earned a living. And she saw how much we were just throwing away in one day to keep her dad employed for a year. So a really good example of just how much we threw away. So construction demolition is really key to the composting because any kind of untreated wood that's generated is brought into the composter, mixed with the biosolids, mixed with the food in the yard waste, and that is turned into compost. When I say the word biofuels, what do you think about? Entering into what? Usable fuel. Like, what would be an example of a fuel? Like diesel fuel, maybe? Yeah, biodiesel. Yeah, biodiesel. Yeah, a lot of people think biodiesel is one thing that's generated on site. Biodiesel is a hydrocarbon. Here on our site, we have a private company called Enerchem. And Enerchem is responsible for a process called the Enerchem process that takes residual products from the garbage from the recycling and treated wood and turn that into methanol and ethanol products. So those are alcohol-based products. And this is a method of carbon capture. Over here, we have a little place called GEEP. And GEEP stands for Global Electric and Electronic Processing. And any kind of e-waste, like a television set or a toaster, is taken to the eco-station. In my little slide here, you'll see a few more examples. 
you'll see a battery operated clock and this plug-in lawnmower. Those are items that should go to the eco station and then they'll end up at Geek. The same thing said for that TV. The eco station is also fantastic because it takes household hazardous wastes that are found here with these motor oil and cleaning products. It takes paint. It actually has a paint reuse area. If you're looking for paint for doing like a, the paint job for a birdhouse or a doghouse, try using the reuse paint from the uh, eco station. Over here, bulky items, sofas, mattresses, tables and chairs, all that stuff goes to the eco station. And up above are the two big ones that I talk about all the time, light bulbs and batteries. These two types of materials here, people for years are putting them into the garbage. They burn out the light bulb, into the garbage it goes. You need some batteries for your remote control, you throw away the old ones into the garbage, here in Edmonton, we take our garbage and we harvest it into what? Compost. So if we throw away a battery or a light bulb, can products from there that are in the garbage also be made their way here into the compost? The answer is yes. So if you can make a solemn vow to me today and for the remainder of the days that you live in Edmonton, make sure that all of your light bulbs and batteries go to the eco station. That would make me a happy because that stuff has no business in the garbage, make sure it goes to the eco station. We don't want mercury from the curdicue bulbs or the long fluorescent tubes to get into the compost. We don't want any of the heavy metals that are found in batteries, mercury, lead, lithium ion, nickel cadmium. We don't want any of that stuff getting into the compost. A small, little teeny tiny portion, one to 2% is sold to garden centers. Or we have a commodities broker uh, here that's soon to come back into the hands of the city here. And the vast majority of the compost that's made will go to land reclamation, golf courses, top dressing for the sports fields, and then of course for horticultural application, which is used in the uh, farming industry. Is there bacteria used in the composting process? Is that your question? The answer is, oh yeah. Lots and lots and lots and lots of bacteria. So in nature, there's two forms of fundamental bacteria. There's mesophilic and thermophilic. The mesophilic bacteria functions at human range temperatures, and these are the bacteria that typically make us sick. But when we flush our poop at home, it goes to the wastewater treatment plant, and they have a primary digester where they fortify it with additional bacteria, not to mention your poop already has bacteria in it, just so you know. And so the bacteria that's found there, we want to fortify the thermophilic bacteria. They get really energized and excited and they eat the mesophilic bacteria. And then they grow, they can eat and grow and eat and grow and eat. And in this process, they are killing the pathogens in the compost. So for us, bacteria are our heroes because they help us to make really good So you're asking how do we grade the garbage? Is that your question? Yeah. We don't really grade the garbage per se, but we sort the garbage. So during the sorting process, of which you'll see today on the tour, we go through a number of different sorting applications, both by hand and by machine. We have a machine called an auger that has a connectivity sensor and it will measure the moisture of the compost. And water is such a great molecule. 
because it's both positive and negative. It's a dipole. And in doing so, we can know how much moisture is in there, and that will tell us the performance of our composting process. And then at the end of that, we'll also take physical samples of the compost, and they will be independently tested. And they will use a, a mass chromatograph to go in and check for all the different compounds. And that's done completely independently of the city. And that becomes our report card. What is used with the toxic batches? That material, okay, now let's not use the word toxic because that's a harsh word. Let's use the word hazardous materials. So when we deal with hazardous materials, which means they're not necessarily toxic, because toxic implies a whole level of interaction. So we use the word hazardous, and those hazardous materials, with their presence, we don't sell that material. That compost, which typically isn't suitable for composting, but is it hazardous for you and I in everyday life? The answer is no. It typically will be simply transferred to a class two landfill. If there is something that is viewed as hyperhazardous or toxic, that goes into a class one. Do we, tip, do we typically see that on site? The answer is next. Off to the right, you'll see two large towers. This is where uh, the Enerchem Alberta Biofuel Plant is. You'll notice it's connected to a building that looks like a big, huge gymnasium with a sheet metal roof and concrete walls. That's connected to a little tiny tube called the Vico Belt. Then we have the composter here on the north side. So we come up through the connecting gallery, food and yard waste are brought up here. To help us to handle more of that food waste, we have a construction project going off here on the right hand side. And this is where they're building the anaerobic digester. So there will be eight large bays that will help decompose food waste into biogas. Now we have, are you two folks from the University of Alberta? Is that, did I hear yeah. that correctly? Yeah. So we've now signed an agreement with the University of Alberta campus mm -hmm. that when the digester is finished, all food waste from the campus will be brought here and turned into biogas. Cool. And biogas will then be converted into electricity to help make these buildings as net zero as possible so that we're not using coal electrical um, generation. University is like its own little city, Unicity. And then all the food in the yard waste is brought into this building here where you see it's kind of like a light gray color. And this is a stainless steel building. And this is the largest stainless steel structure in North America. And that's where the large aeration bays are located where the food waste, the yard waste, the biosolid and the wood chip is decomposed into compost. In doing so, it's a very smelly process. And so these flat piles of wood chip have bacteria in them that will consume the odorous compounds that come through the building. And this wood chip pile is given a name called a biofilter. Scrap metal from the eco station will go into that big yard there on the right hand side. It will be sorted, baled, and sent to market. Sorting and baling happens here in a big way inside of this place called the Materials Recovery Facility. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go inside and have a look at some recycling first. end of the line first. So line number 12 is the sorting of rigid plastics. They go into the different bunkers on the floor. And then if you look off to the right, you'll see the bales of all the sorting material that ultimately is. So as I said, these blue machines working in concert. Machine number 11 has a magnet to take out the tin cans. It has a little trommel screen to take out the glass. 
It has an air knife to take out surplus paper. We're always having to deal with paper. And then all the rigid plastics are being sorted by hand by these four folks. And so rich plastic are the bulky rigids. So you'll see that first in the bunker on the right. Five gallon pails, you got your laundry hampers and so on. Uh, Rubbermaid totes and that kind of thing. Then you have tubs and lids, sour cream, yogurt, cottage cheese, those kinds of containers. Bottles and jars, typically your juice jugs, um, any type of clear PET plastic. And that's what's being sorted by hand by these folks here along with them. Is there anything that can't be recycled or composted? Or Typical, it's because it's composite material. A good example would be a ketchup bottle. Oh. A ketchup bottle is made out of PET plastic. But now in the last few years, ketchup bottles now have a layer of nylon on the inside of the bottle, thus rendering it unrecyclable because it is uh, composite material. So this is the end of the line. Do you want to see the inbound area? All right, you think this is a lot. Check out this next section. There's a little mini spike in recycling at the start of school because people buy new things for their kids to go to school, like shoes, that come in a shoe box. So you'll see a little bit of a spike in the inbound. So this material has to be sorted. So right now it has no value, but once it goes through all the sorting by machine and by people, then it'll have a value. If you wanna put some numbers to it, about 80 to 85% of the overall volume of material that comes into us is paper and cardboard. Wow. So plastic is not the big, huge, you know, monster that everyone says that it is. Plastic hangs around between 7 to 10 percent. It's quite small compared to the paper and the cardboard. Uh, newspaper is now starting to disappear, but flyers are coming in to fill the void. <laughs> How lovely. And cardboard is very strong because of online shopping. If you ask about a simple behavior that we could do to reduce cardboard consumption, buy local. Same thing goes to be said for your food. To the farmer's market. So this is uh, the returnables. If you walk around with me here, we'll head over to the nerve center. So everything we're seeing on these belts here, this is garbage? This is what you all put in our garbage or a combination? No, this is only been put into the blue bags. Oh, blue bags. Yeah. But is there garbage in there? The answer is yes. Yeah. You'll see the odd peanut butter sandwich get in there. Uh, last year I was working on a waste audit. We found 10,000 suckers after Halloween. So somebody must have had a party, bought all these suckers. They thought, these are disgusting. No one wanted them. Someone was lazy, pitched them into the blue bag for whatever reason. So those become residual products. Also, I do have a question. I see like a little bit of shredded paper, and I've heard that you can't recycle shredded paper. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned shredded paper. Good eye. <laughs> Good job. Make sure you leave your resume behind. I think that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. So machine number nine. So come on down to machine nine. This is where the story really gets started. So shredded paper is small. A post-it note is small. You write a love note in your grade four class and you rip the note up and the paper from that is small. Small paper is very challenging to recycle. So if you'll notice on the I-beam, that's the support beam around that, the uh, outbound ribbon curtain, at the ribbon curtains at the bottom there, shredded paper starts to accumulate and it can jam the machinery. So, shredded paper should go into the garbage. And 
shredded paper can either be composted or used as feedstock for biofuel. But here, it's not like we can't recycle it, but it's because it's so small that it can cause the machines to malfunction. So it's, it's like the VHS tape. Mm -hmm. It can cause things not to work right. And every couple of hours, the technician has to climb over top of that and clean it off or vacuum it out. So it's, like that tape is kind of jumbled up there, like somebody's going to have to get... You're absolutely right. In there. That's why putting the right thing in the blue bag and the right thing in the garbage is so critical because it really influences the performance of the uh, plants. Mm -hmm. It really, really does. Oh, look at that. This little swath of increased shredded paper. There it is. Like right now, that's not bad. You come to us like during tax season. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Well, here's what most communities in Canada do. They ask the resident to put shredded paper into a small grocery bag like a superstore bag. And then they will have a picker at the beginning of the line that looks for all these little small grocery bags full of shredded paper. And then it goes down the line. The reason why in Edmonton we put in the garbage is because we can compost or biofuel it. So we don't need to have that added step. Any questions on recycling before we show you the fastest growing part of the waste stream in Western civilization? There's a socialization question for you. What do you think is the fastest growing waste stream in the modern Western world? Think about it. Think about it. Maybe some visuals out the window will help you answer that question. But if coffee there's no coffee cups, it's high, but not it doesn't grow as fast as this next part of the waste stream. It's like really cool and disturbing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, like it makes it like people are sorting out well, but it's like also like, oh my god, this is so much. Mm -hmm. You kind of deja vu as you saw your own garbage before. Yeah, yeah. Some of you are holding electronics. Ah, yes, very good. <laughs> E-waste is just exploding. You thought you saw a lot of waste out this window? Hold on to your hats. We're going to show you more. So let's talk about the scrap metal from the eco station on the left. So anything from white goods to ladders to barbecues to bicycles, all that good stuff will go inside of this section here. This yard is run by a private company called GEEP. And GEEP stands for Global Electric and Electronic Processing. It's a private company from Barrie, Ontario. They sort the metals from the speaker station and they take apart e-waste. And if you look out the window on the left, give it a good look. TVs, computers, cell phones, in practical terms, anything you can imagine in your home today with a battery or a cord is fully recyclable. But please make sure it goes to the eco station. That's it. There's about 2,900 TVs every month recycled. And their job is to take everything apart and harvest out the precious metals. And they get sold back to the commodities market so that they can be purchased by Samsung and LG or Apple and turn back into new products. You'll see grandma's TV out there with the wood chassis. That gets pulled off as biofuel material. The plastics that are found on the outer shells of the CRTs, they get turned into heating oil products so they actually keep buildings warm in the wintertime in Ontario. And then of course the precious metals are extracted for making future products. Do you have any idea this amount of effort goes into waste?
That's all for the time we have for this week. If you have questions or comments about the show, send us an email to Tara at CGSR.com, tweet us at TaraInforma, or check us out on Facebook to catch up on the latest environmental news. Visit our website, TaraInforma.ca. Thank you to our volunteers, Eric Balling, Hannah Cunningham, Elizabeth Dowdell, Charlie Thompson, Sonic Patel for helping out with this week's episode. Terrainforma is entirely one-year-round, and we survive because of generous donations to our host studio, CGSR 88.5 FM. Consider a donation to your local radio station to keep independent journalism on the air. I've been your host, Sean Hall. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you will catch us next week, right here on Terra Informa. Da, 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 da,